Sonic Statesman.com. So hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 109. 109 live. Once again, just like to say, um, thanks to all the people in the chat room. We have growing numbers of people. Good to see Guru One back. Um, typing furiously as ever. Um, so hello everybody in the chat room. We've got, uh, yeah, numbers are, are reaching up as I've been putting reminders in the new system to, to let people know. And uh, now I'm confident in the, in the streaming functionality. So yeah, we're, we're all, we're all go. So hello and welcome everybody. Sonic Talk number 109. And it's Wednesday, 26th of November, if you're listening live. But if you're not listening live on the podcast, it will be Thursday, the 27th of November when you'll be able to get it on iTunes. So um, I'll introduce my immediate guests. Um, hopefully non-Eric from uh, musatalk.de will be joining us a bit later on. Um, but uh, say first hello to, I don't know, I'll pick my first one. Let's start with the furthest away, which is PJ Tracy in Minneapolis. PJ Emmy-winning PJ Tracy, I'd just like to remember to say. <laughs> How are you, PJ? Very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, apart from somebody stole my laptop, well, not my laptop, my do- my uh, my partner's laptop from the house recently, which was a bit of a worry. Oh. Yeah, it's all our own Look fault. into your house? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if they broke in. I think we left the back door unlocked, so it's all entirely our own fault, uh-huh. but it's really annoying. Made it easy for them. Yeah, exactly. Basically, we said, here's a laptop. Look, in the window, it's on the table. Now, if you just nip around the back, you can help yourself. Um, so, yeah, it's a real, <laughs> well, my- it's a real, it's a real shame. My wife has uh, recently lost her phone, so we went out phone shopping last night, and I've decided today for Christmas I'm going to buy her one of those new Google phones. Oh. The G1. Cool. Uh, They're beautiful. They're supposed Uh, to be really good. Very very cool device. And um, the Android operating system for the G1 is open source, so there's just a million applications out there, music and otherwise, for the G1. Well, I, the yeah. only one, I, the only thing I heard about it, um, apart from that, is it's the battery life you've got to be careful of. So you just got to make sure you charge it up yeah. every day. Anyway, thanks, PJ. PJ Tracy Music dot com. Uh, Dave Spears from GeForceSoftware dot com. How are you? Um, discombobulated is my word of the day. That's a good <laughs> word. I wouldn't want you to spell it quickly, though. Uh, no, I doubt whether I can even pronounce it quickly. Uh, yeah, very entertaining. Want to hear a very funny story about my um, dizziness? Oh, really? Still with you? No. I was at the hospital yesterday having a load more tests, and these are really amazing tests, right? So they lie you down, they put these goggles on you, and they're filming your eyes, and the goggles have the ability to kind of completely black out. And then what they do is they fill one ear up with warm water, right? Bl- black you out, and then as the water drains... Because it's one ear, it's basically completely confusing the brain. So they're filming your eyes to see, you know, you're trying to grasp onto something, as it were. And they ask you to um, recite things like, um, let's say, go through the alphabet with boys' names. And the first one was was actually um, things you can eat. So I'm going uh, apple, banana. And I get to K and I can't think of anything to eat beginning with K. So I say ketamine. (laughs) <laughs> oh no <laughs> oops at which point they yeah, strapped you the to the table is, yeah the test is immediately stopped and i'm asked about my ketamine consumption which of course is nil <laughs> oops. I can, I'm, I'm not sure i can think of anything that begins with k kiwi oh, fruit yeah but oh, there, there, are, there aren't many though are there 
That's only two. Yeah. Kellogg's cornflakes. Okay, all right. There are loads. <laughs> Just kegs of beer. Kegs. <laughs> Excellent. Oh dear. So then, what happened? Did it, did did the mood of the interview change? Did they um, look upon you with uh, think these tests are pointless, Mister Spears? You've obviously been just doing yourself personal damage with self medication. Uh, no, she then tried it with cold water. Jeez, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and it really off. is. It's like being in a barrel, in a black barrel, just rolling down a hill. I was kind of gripping oh, wow. onto this some. Um, slab this well what appeared what seemed to be like a mortuary slab for grim death anyway it was highly entertaining but that was the highlight of the uh, interview as it were gee so any more um conclusions uh yeah i don't have bpvv or whatever it is so there you go i don't know i, no, I don't know what that is either oh well uh, well good luck i mean i hope it gets better this is all to do with your um labyrinthitis that's right. Yeah, they're tr- they're trying to kind of work out exactly what's causing it, but uh, at the minute, I did take some samples of uh, the GX one and the stuff that I've been looping down to explain that you know this is kind of what I do, and I've been wearing headphones on, <laughs> and uh, I've been wearing headphones and doing this in a kind of swimming pool environment. Um, to which, as soon as I played the, um, I mean, it's a very kind of band pass gnarly sawtooth. Yeah. As soon as I played them that, they just kind of looked at me and went, why? Why would you want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> you, we, you don't know how we suffer for our art. <laughs> yeah. yeah for Masochist's arm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we very much appreciate that you have, Dave, and I hope all your customers realise what you've been through to... <laughs> give you to bring them the finest <laughs> sounds and and virtual instruments that money can buy anyway um there you go ouch let's move on to our next guest mark tinley from cambridgeshire hello mark how are you hello i uh, i've been don lafontaine all week and i'm only just recovering yeah, and i like think i'm turning into cold. rocky balboa at the moment i suppose an english version I've had the most horrendous cold. So I downloaded the A to Z of positive words, and under the heading X, it said, nothing here. So I'm currently looking for anybody who can think of a positive word beginning with X, having just been prompted into that thought by Dave's experience with the alphabet. Xanadu. Mm, Xanadu. What's positive about that exactly? Well, it's like... utopia, isn't it? Oh, that's true. Yeah. But it's Maybe not... a Newton John. That's all I can think about. I mean, not 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 day to day, but you know, when I'm here, the word Xanadu. <laughs> <laughs> I did record some stings for you, actually. Oh, really? Fantastic. I Maybe woke up and them. picked up the iPhone and I did Sonic State podcast. Except I can't go as deep as I was on uh, Monday or whenever it was when I was really bad. Uh, well, I, I'm sorry I'll you've been ill. You. I did. I have actually. I managed to track down your fabulous podcast, uh, Creative Catalyst, which is oh. uh, you're doing one a day, right? Sort of between three and ten minutes a day of a podcast, just kind of on your sort of. It's like thought for the day. Is that kind of how you see? I was it? doing one a day, but I've changed my mind on that. I've decided it was insane. I'm doing one a week now. Yeah, one a day. Now is I've fairly... done forty-seven of them. I thought <laughs> I could stop and do one a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's fair enough. No, it's good. I enjoyed it. And I really, really like the um, the sort of audio scene background. And also downloaded your, um, um, uh, what was it, the, the Theta Wave thing. 
Oh, right, brilliant. And it was really weird, because I've got a pair of these little Genelec 6010As and a subwoofer here, and I played it through that on the web, and honestly, I thought I, I felt like I was asleep. It was really, really powerful, the effect, and I was just completely sort of zonked. And then, but then I thought, I better switch to headphones, because it's quite an annoying sound to have kind of all the whole time, and there's people across the hall and stuff, and they might have, you know, that high-pitched tone. And it didn't work at all on headphones. Really, really weird. Yeah, really strange. But you didn't get the beat frequency. Not as nearly as pronounced. How odd. Yeah, that's what I thought. Very strange. But on the on the Genelex, it sounded very... And I, honestly, I was just sitting here and I was just kind of thinking, this is great. But I, I didn't realise how long it was and I sort of had to break off when I'd... Because uh, I lost, so you I didn't, lost the You didn't get to the spoon then? I didn't, but I knew it was coming because you, you explained <laughs> that at the beginning. But it was good. I, I recommend anybody to try it because basically it's a piece of uh, audio that mark has created that's the like beat frequency between two waves that he kind of slows down so your your brain waves slow and it's kind of emulating um sleep i suppose or a, a state of hip um, hypnosis although he's not going to get you eating onions and you know pretending you're a kangaroo or anything it's it's just it's just really kind of quite relaxing actually I f- you've done it now haven't you last week when this was recommended to people my bandwidth went from like three gigabytes straight through the ceiling and I exceeded my bandwidth and I had to buy the next package up. I oh, can no, see really? going to happen again now. <laughs> well, do you want to put it on our servers? Oh. Stick, it, stick it on our servers because we've got tons of it. But anyway, it's thoroughly recommended. Head on over to funnymachine.com or um, uh, is it aspergeneering.com? Aspergeneering.com, yeah. Right, yeah, check it out. Anyway, that's what Mark's been up to. Uh, I underwent a couple years of neurofeedback sessions because the brain damage that I have that contributes to my um, my visual impairment comes uh-huh. with a host of neurological problems. And one that they found when do- doing a, a QEEG of my brain is that my brain basically produced no theta waves whatsoever. And so Weird. essentially... Yeah, so essentially I... And very little delta, so I never really went into a deep sleep or... Uh, dreamt very often oh wow and after two years of training those waves up um they have gotten to a normalized level and and it's helped tremendously in sleeping um i'm able to to sleep much deeper and uh, remember my dreams how are you training them then Uh, through neurofeedback which is basically um it's a pretty simple process. They, they attach electrodes to different sites in the brain, measuring the amplitude of the different frequencies they can do um, from beta down to delta. And then uh, you basically <clears throat> try to uh, enact an internal posture that slowly raises the amplitude of the waves and the feedback is a tone. So your right. body kind of gets used, to, your brain gets used to hearing the tone and you inevitably you know, sort of flex that muscle in the brain, whatever it is that allows you to get into the state that boosts the amplitude of those waves. And over the course of, in my case, uh, 30 sessions, um, I was able to raise the amplitude of my theta waves from a very nominal level to a fairly normalized level. Oh, cool. Wow. That sounds really, really fascinating, actually. 
So, um, I'd just like to say there's a couple of comments on last week's show. Um, DBM said a lot of the players in the jazz bands that fly through the uh, slippery noodle and have a tendency to tick or grunt or do some kind of facial articulation while playing. The ones I've asked said it was their internal metronome. <laughs> that was after our, our topic about um, what noises do you make when you play? And that was kind of... Um, that was a response. And the king, Dan Austin, the king of mouthing guitar parts, especially with wow pedals, has to be Robin Troer. He never tires of listening to the album Bridge of Size, which also features the late, great James Drewer on vocal and bass, who I'm not, not familiar with. But anyway, so it looks like Hans is available. Let's go get him. I'm non Eric from musotalk.de, who's with us. Uh, you know, I know you've been very busy, so it's really great that you, um, you've managed to come and join us this week. How are you, Hans? Finally, finally, yes, yes, yes. We're covered in work, so many podcasts, everything. You know how it feels, Nick. I do know how it feels. I've been upping my uh, my output recently. Done a few reviews and got a load of stuff in for review. In fact, and in fact, I just got the Korg Nano controls, which I've got strewn about me on the on the desk here, and I've been enjoying it very much. Although when I plugged the last one in, it crashed Logic and said there was a conflict with MIDI drivers. So I'm not quite. That's as far <laughs> as I got. But I'm sure it's it's probably because I've got tons and tons and tons of old MIDI drivers still installed from various things that I've plugged in. So I'm sure I, I can get to the bottom of it. But it's fun. I've created a bit of music and stuff already, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can get into this. So anyway, um, oh, yeah, the world's thinnest speakers. Check this out for fidelity, eh? You want to hear this? Ten points for the pers- person who can actually identify this. You get the gist. That was actually the sound coming from this uh, nanotechnology carbon tubes, nanotube, carbon nanotubes, basically woven into a flag, um, which was waving as a little tiny flag about the size of, I don't know, a small hanky. And it was plugged into the experimenter's iPod. And that was, um, that's come from Chinese scientists uh, in Beijing at Tsinghua University and the Beijing Normal University, whatever that is. That sounds a bit bizarre. But um, anyway, there's a whole list of names that I'm unable to pronounce. Um, But it's been developed by Chinese scientists made up of carbon nanotube films that could be used to produce the world's thinnest speakers. Carbon material, which is one 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 thousandth the width of human hair, can produce sound with the same quality of conventional speakers. I'd say that's probably something that's uh, obviously debatable listening to that. But... um, (laughs) Can anyone think of a great use for something like that? Imagine, I suppose you could wear clothes out of it. Couldn't you? You could plug your clothes in. You could have a suit made of speaker material. When I was about um, eight or nine years old, I got a cassette recorder for Christmas and I took an old speaker out of a television and I plugged it into the ear socket and used to plug a microphone into the uh, mic socket and put it in record and then I'd put the speaker down my pants. <laughs> And impress girls by speaking out of my trousers. Well, speaking out of your trousers. So I suppose you could make some acoustic pants with it. As in, and for the Americans, I'm talking about my jockey shorts, not my trousers. You're, I just, I just want to rewind a little bit there. So you're throbbing, you're throbbing. You you impress them with your throbbing pants, I suppose. Did yeah, you? My- <laughs> What, what did you think this would um, endear you to girls? Did it did it work? And why I wanted to be a rock star. I sprayed my sandals silver, and okay. uh, I, 
used to write songs with this guy called Dean Lancaster at school, and I used to put the speaker in my trousers. <laughs> so I'd have this huge bulge in my trousers, and then I'd sing into this microphone, and it would come out my pens. And, <laughs> so, so, and you'd say to the girls, just bend down and listen here. No, you have to get a bit closer. It was pretty loud. It was pretty loud. <laughs> there are all sorts of gags flying around the chat room, mate. <laughs> i mean as you can imagine that's a wonderful story mark i just I, I i expect that a therapist would have absolute field day with that <laughs> i think i, I think, wish i'd still got the cassettes that would have been bizarre wouldn't it well you could play it to yourself yeah i suppose so i mean with the, you so could what was that about wired it up to a an 18 inch subunit and tried that um Hands, can you think of anything that's not pants that, that you would like to make speakers out of? What really, uh, on this topic in general, it's really sort of uh, odd that in, a, in, in, in an age, day and age of internet and computers and everything, we're still listening to um, cardboard being moved by a magnet to uh, actually um, generate um, sound waves that travel to our ears. It just seems... This seems to be the last resort of really sort of old technology. We've abandoned the, the vinyl record and the mechanical uh, recording of music, but we still mechanically, you know, vibrate the air with a cup, piece of cardboard. Right. Well, I, I, I'm me. I'm more of a Kevlar man myself. I don't know about everybody okay. else, but, but yeah, I take your point. I mean, it is a bit antiquated antiquated but there's not i mean i suppose the only other real options that are have been around for a while are things like electrostatic speakers which do sound amazing but there's something about it's kind of like the way that valves sound and the way that we were so used to tape and so and, and guitar distortion and things that, that that you know we kind of we're so familiar with it that if we change it radically how are we going to replicate the sound but i mean I, I i take your point i mean this is quite this is but this is again this is kind of quite uh high tech but i mean i can't imagine it moving that much air if you wanted a decent bass response and, and that's another problem it's because it's a physical it's a deeply physical thing you know moving the the air to get a sound and that's why uh, all the attempts you know to get to have really tiny speakers with, with a light cabinet uh, it never really worked does it i mean really need big sort of box and lots of material and, and it be heavy and big to make a big sound there seems to be no no uh, shortcut to this no but i suppose what's happening a lot and th I, this kind of is reflected in what i've got on for review i've got these little genelec 6010a's which are tiny they're three inch um, bass driver and a three-quarter inch tweeter but it's it's supplemented by a sub and i've i've quite often seen that and also that, that it's a good trick that i saw at a yamaha stand at music messer about five or six years ago and i was playing with the djx 2 which is the little kind of you know fun dancey kind of home keyboard kind of thing and all they did is you had a pair of headphones on but under the table they had this massive subwoofer so you just got a really good sense of vibe you know that was the thing that kicked a load of air and i suppose with cannons and tubes and things they they can do that i mean and that seems to be the way it's going so you get the kind of mid and tops from something that's a newer technology but you still shift the big kick of air and they're those things that i really like um they're called kickers which they often use on um drummers monitors so the monitors don't have to move a load of air 
they just they, it's almost like a pizza um, a pzm mic in reverse so it's got a thing that, a transducer that just wallops a piece of wood that you're sitting on so it actually moves and they use that in game technology as well don't they for sort of impact simulation and things like that so then maybe that that's where we're kind of heading for with this sort of thing i don't know dave uh, well i was just thinking you know where you're going to hear this sort of horrible tinny sound like when you're queuing in the post office they'll have it on little bits of paper or i don't know it'll be horrible yeah i mean it's not a very satisfying sound that wasn't i mean but i mean it does sound a bit like somebody with their headphones turned up too loud yeah mobile phone yeah exactly i don't know it still sounds like it's a way off that's not the most impressive demo what's impressive about it is the fact that um it's a little flag that's actually waving in a breeze while it makes the noise i can think of one really useful application for this personally yeah um with another with another artist we're getting ready to do an installation um in a couple of about a year and a half in a gallery locally that's a room about 40 foot by 40 foot and if you can imagine um the room covered in um three foot by six foot painting panels painted panels that have images all over them abstract images and they're connected and they they're seamlessly spread across the walls of the gallery so they cover the entire surface of the walls of the gallery and intermittently there's back projected video with audio coming out of them that are that they're derived from the paintings the videos are their animations of elements of the paintings it would be great to be able to actually embed audio right into the canvases I wonder if the, the the kind of you know the action of actually painting on them might kind of cause problems because obviously it's going to stick them all together and I don't know maybe. it might yeah yeah absolutely but if you if you could embed it in the frames or in a portion of the canvas yeah avoid you know that portion of the canvas it would be wonderful to be able to do that because audio in a situation like this is kind of a logistical nightmare yeah well yes I'm sure it is. Uh, flat speakers, um, tiny thin speakers, um, basically they have to be big or they have to be powerful to move enough air to sound good, I guess. Ray Kurzweil's been at it again. Um, Ray Kurzweil, who is not only um, found a member of Kurzweil, as in Kurzweil keyboards and samplers and etc., but also a kind of futuristic future futurism boffin who uh, comes up with all sorts of f- thinkings. He was in an interview on silicon.com by uh, a lady called Natasha Lomas that was published on the 19th of November. Uh, they ponder whether um, machines can ever have souls. This was uh, by Bartle Hogard, who's uh, a regular uh, topic contributor to Sonic Talk. Thanks, Bartle. One of, one of Ray Kurzweil's arguments is, you know, if you open up the brain, it's just a series of electrical connections, you know, effectively, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's got a soul. But the, the, the fact that a machine can be self-aware, I mean, we're not getting far off that. And presumably, if we're getting to the point where machinery can in, almost anticipate particularly from a music point of view what we're going to do next or what we should do next then perhaps it may get there i don't know what you think is this 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 is uh obviously a bit highbrow but you know it came up and i thought i'd grasp at the chance frankly it's been a slow news week mm, i would say um not in not only do most machines not have introduced any soul into music making? But there's already a problem with the musicians. So that's uh... if you're a musician, you're going to hell anyway. So your soul is doomed. <laughs> For me, that is a tricky question because uh, I think yes, machinery can 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 have a soul in it in the way you um 
uh, feedback as a musician. Right. That's definitely something happening when you, you're in front of an 808 or a modular synthesizer and you, you plug in away. There's a certain feedback coming from the machine that sort of generates something inside you that, you know, there's a kind of a back and forth. Right. So you think you maybe you in part, or maybe some machinery is more susceptible to kind of accepting soul from human input than others, so it can actually take it and work with it rather than you know have it of of its own volition. I think it, it, it's it's the, the the feedback to the musician that would be called soulful or not. I don't think that the the machinery in itself can can generate. Mm. So um, I think you're probably right, actually, at the moment. But who knows where it's going to go, Mark? I mean, you you ponder um, certain philosophical aspects to technology. Do you can you see this happening? And do you think there already is soul to some machinery? I did like this um, line of thought, and I followed it round and round the internet for about an hour or so, and I discovered about something called the Turing test, which was set out by somebody in the 1950s. Alan Turing. And this yeah. is a and this is a sort of a double-blind test where you have a human asking, and, and they don't get to see each other, obviously. So, so you have a human subject asking questions of another human and a computer, and they have an allotted time in which they have to figure out which one's the human and which one's the computer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's ever going to work, because I mean, that test itself has got to be outdated. And I, want, I wanted to do that. I'd quite like to do that test and have a human ask me questions and have another human in a box and see if it could tell the difference between me and a human if you, if you see what I mean. I wonder if you yeah, I wonder if you can do it the other way around where you can actually kind of convince convince you that you are a machine and not a human. I suppose that would be easier though, wouldn't it? I think I could convince somebody that I was a machine because I would and that's what they were saying there's also something called a reverse Turing test. And people who understand how the Turing test works can quite easily fool people who are taking that test into thinking that they're computers simply by ask, answering questions in weird ways. But I did. I just found the whole thing fascinating. I love all those psychology tests and stuff, and I found the whole thing really interesting. I mean, if there is technology, you know, if we are getting to a situation where the Turing test will be passable by a human uh, by a computer or by some sort of artificial intelligence then that technology is bound to reflect into music creation and if you've got algorithms that are available are able to play music you know based on their own set of criteria and just kind of get on with it then surely if they've got self awareness and what have you and empathy and those things that are you know do make a difference then they're bound to instill some of that into the music i don't know pj what do you think well, um, <clears throat> I'm fascinated by the subject, and I've read a lot of Kurzweil's work. His most recent book is called The Singularity is Near, and the book prior to that is called The Age of Spiritual Machines. Mm-hmm. But I see Kurzweil more as um, he's in one camp of, of scientific, scientific evangelism that believes that consciousness is an emergent property of memory and processing power alone. He doesn't really go into... Um, you know, any neuroscientist worth, worth their salt who's looking at the brain will say um, we know about the, what we know about the brain could fill a thimble and what we don't know could fill, you know, the vastness of the universe. We still have a long way to understanding how the brain makes, makes its connections and how we become self-aware. We understand a lot about 
what self-awareness is, but not how, how it's derived. And so I, I think Kurzweil is, is a bit optimistic in thinking that by 2030, there's going to be litigation because there's, you know, there'll be software algorithms and computers that are able to pass the Turing test. And right. the Turing test is, is all about context because it's one thing to ask, you know, a computer, a, a predefined set of, of questions and have it, have an answer. If it already, understands the context of that information because it's programmed into the algorithm but if you if you give it a set of you know information if you start asking it about random events or or random aesthetics you know for instance show it an image it's never seen or two images and ask it which one it prefers and then ask it why you know it's going to be very very difficult for a computer to wax poetic you know about about, or- I, yeah, I, I think I'd probably agree. I think I think that's that's the difficulty. One one thing, uh, audio nerd says, uh, music is the fundamental technology. Everything in the universe works along the lines of diatonic scale, which correspond to different uh, discrete densities of the ether. Uh, uh, to which Circuit Symphony um, replies, Jean Michel Jarre and Brian May are working on an album together using sounds generated by the stars. Apparently, there's a big concert in 2009 in the Canary Islands. So maybe there is. You know, I mean, there are. F- certainly philosophical joins between you know the fundamentals of physics i guess and music so it's bound to make some kind of leap i don't know dave i mean you work in software a lot so i mean you must see some kind of pretty inspirational things that code can do that sort of at least has the sense of soul i think soul is a particularly emotive word isn't it? yeah and I think really in this, from what I gather from reading the little I did from this, they seem to be uh, confusing the word soul with consciousness. And yeah. I can certainly understand yeah. artificial intelligence taking on its own form, and some of that is very, uh, very, very interesting. But in terms of soul, there are many people who would argue that actually computers and machines suck your soul. <laughs> <laughs> and that there are many humans without it. Well, that's true. Of course, Yes. But yeah, we're getting. I'm I'm pretty sure that all this stuff is going to come down to, you know, self-generative music and all because we're always looking. There's always stuff. You know, there's the HG Fortune thing that we saw, which was generational and generating. You know, and it's some of it's. There are so many different kinds of music. It's not easy always to know which might have been algorithmically generated and which is just you know played by somebody because you can emulate each other. Each thing can emulate itself. But anyway, we'll keep an eye on it. Obviously, um. But uh, yeah, Ray Kurzweil once again. I think at this point, um we should move on to this topic, which is, is clearly related, because obviously when they do finally get round to uh, creating machines with soul, we'll be replacing all the band members um, with with algorithms or whatever. So um, this one was from Kale Clements via email, and he says, I've often wondered how acts uh, like Duran Duran or Chic, uh, Rich Hilton obviously is not with us this week, go about replacing musicians when openings occur. How do musicians find out that, say, uh, one of those bands is looking for new players. Is it all of a friend of a friend thing, or how does it work? Mark, I mean, you've been with Duran, presumably while they've replaced members, or is that something that you weren't party to? Uh, yeah, they replaced Andy Taylor with this guy, Dom, so I was around when that happened, and Dom was a session guy who they got in to to cover Andy when Andy was ill. Right. And then Andy basically said he wasn't coming back, so Dom stayed. Friend, friend, of, friend of the tour manager, I think. 
I think that, that that's one thing that I've noticed is, you know, you tend to know of people because, I mean, as musicians, generally, we're quite conservative, I mean, with a small C, because we like to stick with what we know, because the risk of having somebody who's totally wrong, it, it can upset all sorts of creative balances, all sorts of things and dynamics that, you know, we perhaps don't understand very well. So we're very cautious, generally, about that sort of thing. I know, Hans, you've been in a number of bands. I mean, how would you, how would you go about it? And what, what have you observed about this? What is actually the question, Nick? How do you replace a band member? Throw them out. Yes. <laughs> You're sacked. <laughs> Get someone else in. And that's it. Uh, no, basically, I would say the, the, the link is, in a way, so much closer and more intense than uh, in any other kind of cooperative. Like, I think it's more intense than... Playing, I think playing in a band is more intense in terms of the the, the um, personal involvement, yeah. Than, for example, playing in a soccer uh, team. That's the reason why we like to stick to people that we know and that we are feel comfortable with. with. Yeah, I mean, I would. Just- I- I would agree with that. I mean, I think that um, it's partly. I mean, particularly perhaps with singers, but you know, you're exposing yourself. Uh, in in the best sense of the word to your fellow band members when you play an idea that you're not sure about you know you're kind of saying listen i've got this or if you're one of the songwriters or you come up with some riffs you're really you know it, it, it takes a certain amount of confidence um with the creative group to be able to do that because that's something and that's something that takes time to develop i remember actually um when i was in a band and um, we had a drummer who i still see around a place called pete and uh we we wanted to sack him. We thought we would get more from somebody else, you know, basically. And it was, I remember it was absolutely torturous because none of us had the balls to actually say it to him. We didn't know what, how we could do it. And it was almost like, um, I guess it's almost like breaking up with your first girlfriend. You don't really know how to do it. It was really, a really painful and unpleasant experience. And I guess you can have the same sort of thing within, within bands, particularly, or, or either that, or it's very clear cut. You have a big argument, split up, and that's it. Then you've got to replace somebody. But it's, it's difficult. I don't know, Dave, what, what's your, what's your take on it? Uh, getting rid of band members, that's quite entertaining. I have plenty of stories about that. But actually, in terms of replacing band members or finding new band members, we had something the other day that was quite interesting in that, um, in fact, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure whether I should say this, but um, I will. Um, it's, I think that the, yes, the current Yes Tour singer was found on YouTube. Oh, really? Because uh, I think he had a voice similar to John Anderson's, and for some reason John couldn't do it. I think he was ill or something. I don't know. And the tour was already planned, so I think they've replaced him with a guy from YouTube. That's, ah, that's the rumour uh, I heard, and that came from a reasonably reliable source. But it's um, a bit of a risk. I mean, presumably they've actually met him. He's not going to just show up for the first gig and then turn out to be uh, uh, A, unpresentable, B, a complete maniac, C, you know, horrible, D, you know, a drug addict, all those sort of things. Well, in a way, it's quite interesting because... Normally, the the biggest fear I have when recommending people, really, to answer the question, the best way, the the only way I know that people get um, pulled in is through recommendations. So there'll be sure. a mate of, like like Mark, so the tour manager or the bass player or the drummer. Um, but I f- I found this quite interesting because the problem with recommendations is. If you make the recommendation and that person screws up, then it damages your reputation somewhat. Whereas actually, if it comes from somewhere as completely oblique as YouTube, there's no real baggage attached to it. 
in, in professional touring setups, it's a bit of a different scenario, isn't it? Because usually, you know, if, a, if you've got somebody coming into a band, they need to be, you know, capable. They need to be able to deal with that kind of environment, work environment, and they need to be kind of solid and uh, not freaking out because that's the other thing. If you've got someone who's not particularly, is, is particularly extreme in any way, like over-enthusiastic or a real worrier, then that can really affect the whole vibe of a band. So all of these things are really important when it comes to choosing, particularly for, say, a professional touring outfit or somewhere, you know, you're about to go and record an album or whatever. I know, PJ. Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. It's a, it's a nightmare to replace people in bands. Um, it's never been something that I've enjoyed doing or being being a part of. Um, it can sometimes it can sometimes be entertaining, and I think it it how you go about it often depends on why you are getting you know why you are needing to replace somebody. For instance, if somebody is too indulgent and their indulgent behavior is is causing them to melt down well that that has a certain set of you know preconditions that are going to need to be met before you can before you can actually get in there and say hey you need to you need to go yeah and uh replacing somebody yeah is always is it's always best to do it on a recommendation or you know find somebody you know or because I agree entirely. I mean, I've, I've known a lot of really great musicians that I would love to recommend on their musical ability alone, but I wouldn't recommend them personally to be a part of any creative endeavor or tour or long-standing project because they would be wholly unreliable and would probably set something on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and it would, it would wind up bad for everyone concerned. Yeah, so this this person would be good, great for a studio. Um, you get them in for a session. You're either going to get something of pure brilliance, or it won't work at all. But yeah, but book a few extra hours, you know, because the, the whole thing is going to come with its own set of technical difficulties, including the guy might may or may not show up. You know, I've known a lot of people like that. I mean, just absolutely, you know, brilliant people that you'd love to say, yeah, let's bring them in on this project, but they just wind wind up being a time, money, and you know, suck and or causing all kinds of havoc, you know, in, in process. And it's, it's more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. You, you need somebody in a band that you can, you know, on a personal level work really well with, but it, the other way around is also true. I think it doesn't necessarily help if you get a, I mean, I know a lot of people that I get along really well, who are musicians who are in kind of my bracket, kind of, the same sound, but yeah. still it doesn't feel right to make music with them. That I find is something that's also true. Just because you feel really comfortable with somebody and you like somebody really well, doesn't necessarily mean that you can make good music together. Yeah. I think that's, that, it's yeah. a click in there. How many people have you actually clicked with over the years and gone? Yeah. But that, is, is that, isn't that a different thing? I mean, if you're already tour, if you're already touring musically, and there is just parts to be learned, and you just have to do that job, that's one thing. The yeah. actual creative sort of core of uh, a band or artist, whatever, that's a different thing because that requires, you know, it may be that there has to be a certain dislike or a certain tension or whatever between the that just works that creates what comes out of it. You know, that the, the creative yeah. spark and the just performing the stuff are two completely separate gigs. 
They they yeah, can be, as, but it, I think it depends. It depends on the it depends on the gig. You know, if it, if it's a gig that has a, a predefined sound and you're playing the exact same parts every night, uh, which which a lot of which a lot of gigs are, then it it may be that way. But I mean, you know, a a, a lot of people will go uh, through history and look at different lineups for different acts and say, well, that band that was their best band. You know, this group right. of people really brought something to the table that was transcendent. And even though I've known that material or heard that material for years, you know, it was best played by that group of people. So I, th- I think it, you know, I think it can, you know, it can definitely affect it. If you've got, a, if you've got a band that, that clicks and they're playing, you know, even, even though they're playing sure. parts and, and, on which I mean, note, can I recommend a film? Yes, please do. Um, it's www.heavyload.org, and it's a band um, called Heavy Load, and uh, it's about a band, half of whom um, are have learning difficulties, and the other half don't, and it's really, really fascinating. It's a brilliant, brilliant documentary. Okay, well, thanks for that. We'll check it out. My experience with Duran Duran was that I first started working for them when Warren Cocorulo was the guitarist, and Warren was... Warren was brought in uh, as a session guy at first and spent several years playing as a session guitarist for them before he started writing with them. So when I first worked with them, it was Simon Le Bon, Nick Rhodes, John Taylor and Warren Cucurulo writing together. Uh Then John left, so it was Simon, Nick and Warren, and that was completely different. And then when Warren... Uh, when they reformed with the original five members, which basically meant Warren no longer had a place with them, uh, the the original five playing together was also a completely different vibe. And it's I don't think you can replace those things. So I think when you get replacement members, they end up being session people, don't they? And then the core of the original core of the band quite often ends up writing stuff. And it takes a long time for somebody from outside to come in and become a writer member. So I think there's a difference between replacing someone as a player and replacing someone as a writer member. Absolutely. And isn't it also true, especially in bigger acts, you know, really successful bands, that they won't bring in another core member because of the revenue sharing thing? I mean... Well, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is that too. Yeah. There is that too. Pay them as a session. Usually, just hired, you know. The yeah. fourth member. That's a very good point. Anyway, well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Clements, for that. Um, shall we uh, move on to another topic? Okay, this was um, something that we I filmed at uh, Plaza a couple of months ago, but uh, I was looking at it the other day, and it's this really cool device that basically you put in line with a mic, and it's got an optical sensor, and so you stand in front of the thing, it opens up. You stand away from it, it closes down. So it enables you to have optical gating on mics. And it's brilliant for kind of clean up a mix live or whatever. And it's, you know, 130 euros, dirt, you know, cheap for what it does, I suppose. Uh, and, and of really kind of major consequence to the live show. And I thought um, this got me going on another train of thought, which was, have you guys um, got anything that is a nifty gadget widget must have that you couldn't live without that was just sort of cheap and cheerful and just sort of fills a very specific need that um that you might like to share with us let's start with pj uh my se electronics reflections filter oh that's the is that the mic the wraparound sort of mic booth yep because i don't find i don't find it very often that i need to record a vocal in my space um (laughs) 
and I don't have a vocal booth. I just have a I have a one room that I can use if I need to track some live instruments, small, a very small ensemble, and I have a room to mix in. And uh, if I do need to sing something or bring somebody in to do a voiceover or something like that, uh, the reflection filter works a trick. It's a very, very good piece of kit. Ah, so what sort of character? Does it give that kind of radio um, dead space sound, or is it um, depending on how you use it? Uh, yeah, I've noticed that it does depend on how you use it. Where you place the mic within the filter definitely has an effect on whether or not you get any ambience you know, in the sound whatsoever. But it, it, it sounds very comparable to you know, to a good small vocal booth. It um, definitely cuts out the, the unwanted room, you know, room sound. Oh, I'll check that out. Thank you very much, PJ. Um, Dave Spears. Funny enough, I was just about to get one of those. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't think of anything other than me dongle. Your dongle. Shish. Uh, <laughs> Bada bing. <laughs> yes. But this gate is brilliant. The In Optigate fact, thing. I've got a mate who's front house engineer who was so impressed with this, um, particularly. In fact, he wanted to use it on drummers, which I thought was quite interesting, but I don't think it was fast enough. Um, but he said for certain singers, I, I'm trying to think who he was working with at the time. It was a female, so it might have been Kate Nash or somebody. Um, and he said, you know, actually she's not that loud. And this is brilliant because as she walks up to the mic, it opens. And he ended up, I think he went to Plaza last year and was trying to get some, you know, distribution in the UK for it. But oh, he really? swears by it. Yeah. That's grand because I, I was looking at and this poor guy, you know, the guy that uh, um, that's in the video. I mean, no, well, not poor guy. What am I talking about? But it, it seems like that they, ha- they haven't got a lot of distribution. And you could imagine, you know, touring rigs or whatever could really use something like this a lot, particularly if you've got like a big horn section or a big backing vocal section. You just cut those mics out. Just make perfect sense. Same to him. I mean, think of the amount of PA companies that are around there. He's a front of house engineer, does all sorts of work for concert sound and stuff like that. It's just perfect. I mean, they're going to order them. Hundreds at a time, aren't they? Exactly, because you can't use... Basically, you can't use a normal gate because... Particularly on vocals, because you don't want to miss any of the dynamics and it's going to open every time the snare gets hit. Whereas because this is optical, it's just such a... It's a beautifully simple thing. And the one thing that's really cool about it as well is it's phantom-powered. So you just put phantom power in line. Even if you've got a dynamic mic on the other end, it, it's no problem. It just absorbs the phantom power and powers itself. And if you haven't, it passes it on. So it's just... It's a beautiful bit of German design hands. Yeah. So, Mark, how about you then? Anything nifty and little that you know you just couldn't live without that makes something particularly great? Yeah, my iPhone. <laughs> really, you've become you've become one with your iPhone. Have you? Yes, I've become addicted to it. I'm so glad you finally found a phone you can get on with. I hope it doesn't I've got break. Got a four track in there as well. It's brilliant. Oh, you've been using I that. I told you that last week. But you you've been getting on with that. Have you found that you've used it for you know creative purposes as well? I'm using it for everything, absolutely everything. Wow. I mean, it's just utterly brilliant. And I mean, I've got a little, uh, one of those little recording things called iTalk, and it records in 44.1 16-bit mono. Right. And apart from the slight background noise from the mic preamp, which I basically throw, I throw the recording straight into SoundForge and I put the uh, broadband noise reduction across it, to get rid of that, it just it sounds like a decent mic re- being recorded into a computer. Probably sounds nearly as good as this microphone I'm using to do the podcast. Oh right, so that's your your must have. 
Well, that's fair. Yeah, I think so. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I always it's always nice when people get just find technologies sort of really works well for them. Hans, how about you? My cog guitar tuner. Really? Uh, do I remember recall you saying that you can't tune guitars? I, I, it used to be that I was playing live, and uh, at that time uh, I couldn't tune the guitar. Yes, it was a punk band, so it didn't matter. But now that's when we needed the the tuner. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you very much, everybody. I'm trying to think what mine is. I think it's got it. Well, it's not nifty or cheap, but it's the laptop. I mean, everything runs off that, but you know, it's not, it's not very yeah. imaginative. Sorry about that. <laughs> that's a bit of a crap one. What about the Yamaha thing? That's two fingers recording thing. Ah, well, that's funny. You should say that. You that's rec- a very you, good link. You- At this point in the show, I'd just like to say thank you very much indeed to our sponsors, Yamaha Music Production, who've been with us almost since the beginning and uh, continue to do so. We very much value their input and uh, thank you very much to them. And I wanted to tell you about their new Pocket Track 2G, which is a portable recorder. It's got two gigs of RAM. It's USB. It's got a built-in stereo mic, limiter, line-in. Uh, it's also very, very small. It's got a built-in speaker as well. So you can use it for dictaphone, recording rehearsals, recording gigs backing up podcasts even very very flexible comes with a carry case uh, all sorts of other bits and bobs usb extension cable headphones and a copy of cubase ai uh, i recommend you go and take a look at it it's a yamahasynth.com forward slash products forward slash pocket track and track is spelt t-r-a-k i got a track sent by um the Circuit Symphony, which is Oliver Davis from um, the UK, and he said, um, apparently in the chat room last week, he had uh, a few people asking him when he will have new material out. And uh, the new material is something that's in process. He said he's got a new demo from a Saturday session, which is um, just very basic and simple. He used the following synths, which is bass, Korg Poly 6, analog pack Korg Poly 6, seemed to feature quite well in it, um, drum programming on the Phantom G... Uh, wide strings, Phantom G, Arps, Phantom G, lead synth, get this, the one and only Fantastic Imposca, in brackets, bloody fantastic. There you go, Dave, hey. nice bit of big up for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, first of all, I'll just say thank you PJ Tracy from pjtracy.com music for joining us this week. Thank you very much, it's been a pleasure as always. Of course, Dave Spears, g4software.com, thank you too. Thank you. And Mark Tinley from Cambridgeshire, thank you. Thank you, you're very welcome and all that. I hope your cold gets better and you clear out your sinuses. And of course, non-Eric from musotalk.de. Yes! <laughs> thank you very much for joining us, Hans. Um, great to hear you and have you on the show as ever. And of course, I must just say, uh, Mark Tinley can be found at funnymachine.com. Uh, Hans, musotalk.de, where you can find all sorts of German-language gear reviews techniques features all sorts of stuff and i'd just like to say thank you everybody in the chat room for joining us we have another bumper crop and oh there's somebody from bakehouse studios there who actually sent me an email earlier saying it'd be great if you could mention that we've just opened a new studio so as you're there i may as well eh he's just opened a place in wimbledon which looks kind of fun it's got loads of synths there a load of dirt for modular stuff and a pro tool system with a control 24 so head over to bakehousestudios.co.uk to see what they're up to. That's Grant. So hello, Grant. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening. That was Sonic Talk number 109, live. <laughs>